Welcome, welcome, welcome. I would like to welcome you to episode 323 of the Unpopular Podcast. This is the man, the myth, the legend, Jalen Hunter. And here at the Unpopular Podcast, I'm not really asking you to agree with me. I'm asking you to hear me out. So one of the biggest, most obvious, let's say, bombshells that dropped uh, the other day was when Lamar Jackson came out and, he, and how he did it was spectacular. All the NFL coaches and GMs are pretty, I don't know where they are. They're pretty much, they're in the same place. And when John Harbaugh, who is the current coach of the Baltimore Ravens, when John Harbaugh was up to speak, that same time Lamar Jackson came out on Twitter, talked to his fans, pretty much telling us that on March 2nd, which if you're looking at the time and looking at the date, it's way past March 2nd. On March 2nd, Lamar Jackson uh, requested a trade from the Baltimore Ravens because they were not willing to pay him what he feels he is valued. When I say most obvious bombshell, you I'm not saying we knew that Lamar Jackson requested a trade, but when you have two sides, that is they're trying to make a deal happen in in it's it's been going on for a while now, and you don't essentially get the deal done. One side is gonna want out, and that side is Lamar Jackson, and he requested a trade. And I again, you kind of you kind of knew that he, both sides were on the outs with each other because of the fact of they couldn't get a deal done, and that was a non-exclusive tag. One thing that is that that. This situation has shined a light on. And a lot of the comments that you're hearing from the, you know, the the meeting or whatever where all the coaches are, and most coaches that need a quarterback, i.e. the Carolina Panthers, uh, the co- coaches, uh, Washington Commanders, the, uh, the Atlanta Falcons, you're hearing a lot of them say it's not about the player. It's about how much the player cost. Now, I'm not going to say that this is the proof of collusion. I'm not I'm not going to say that. But what this is proving is. This proves a couple things. This proves a teams understand and know the value of Lamar Jackson, know how good Lamar Jackson is. Um, and it, it also goes to the fact of. When you have a former MVP that is in his prime on the market, which never happens, that is, you understand there's moments like, the again, they, this, these moments don't happen. So you try your best to, you, you want to put your foot, put your name in the, in, the, in the ring for Lamar Jackson. So listening to a lot of these coaches and GMs talk, you understand and and you know, because I was confused. It's like, do y'all not know how good Lamar Jackson is? Do we value Lamar Jackson on it? Like we as fans, do we value Lamar Jackson on a different scale than these owners? No, they understand how good Lamar Jackson is. They understand that he is a once in a generational player. He is a generational talent, not saying he is the best talent. There are multiple generational talents in the NFL right now and Lamar Jackson is one of them another thing that is showing me and this is a broader topic that I'm going to discuss is while you know what's more important to GMs and coaches 
And for some, you actually no, you it's not about winning. Well, I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna say that. A lot of them is not about winning. It's about money. It's about financial. It's, it's a financial thing, because every single owner or every single coach that has talked about Lamar also talked about how expensive it would be to get him because of what he's asking for, which actually shines light on a bigger picture. And that is are fully guaranteed contracts bad for sports. You hear GM of the NFL talk about the NBA and talk about sports that have fully guaranteed contracts. While, yes, they do still have a salary cap, they have fully guaranteed contracts. And they were saying how there's no structure in the NBA or that the other leagues aren't as structured or, or aren't as buttoned up as the NFL. We're going to talk about in a second why we're seeing this much parity in the in the NCAA tournament and in college basketball in general. While, yes, you know what it is? I don't think that other leagues, let's, let's look at the NBA. I don't think that the NBA is in a bad spot. I don't think that the players are running the NBA what I think is you have the NBA understands how to promote itself they understand who is the most important product it's not nobody cares about the logo on the well people care about the logo on the jersey and on on the front of the jersey but more people care about the name on the back of the jersey and when the NBA understood that they understand we're not going to go anywhere if we don't champion our players and back our players. You see, you think the Chicago Bulls would be as historically relevant if they didn't have Michael Jordan? Hell, you think the Golden State Warriors would be as historically relevant and as popular as it is today, as profitable for the NBA as it is today, if it didn't have Steph Curry? You think the Cleveland Cavaliers, the the the, 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 the Miami Heat, you think that they'd be as popular as they were if they didn't have LeBron James? You see, the NBA understood that we have to promote through our players. And one, the, and one of the best ways to do that is have a fully guaranteed contract. Now, if you look at the NFL, the NFL is all about the shield. It's all about the name on the front of the jersey, not the back. But you have to understand, players these days are different. I'll first start by saying I don't think fully guaranteed contracts are bad for any sport. I feel if you play a sport, if you do anything in life that you get paid for, you should get full compensation for it. If I go, <laughs> if I go, if I'm a plumber and I go to your house and say, and, and, and fix your pipes and you'll pay me in, in my, the, the bill is $150, 75 guaranteed. What are we talking about? No, I'm expecting to get $150. If I work at 
if I work at an, I don't know, a news station and my contract says I'm worth $100 million or $100,000, $25,000 guaranteed, where's the other seventy five dollars going? I know it's incentives and everything, but what if I don't hit those incentives? I lose money. That doesn't mean that... It doesn't mean that I do less work. It just means I don't hit those incentives. So here's the thing. Today is different, man. While, yes, everyone loves football and people will continue to love football, there, it, more, more people are invested in the name on the back of the jersey. Because... Lamar, the Baltimore Ravens would not be worth as much as they were worth if they did not have Lamar Jackson. Just like the Kansas City Chiefs would not be worth as much as they're worth if they didn't have Patrick Mahomes. The Philadelphia Eagles would not be worth as much as they're worth if they didn't have Jalen Jalen Hurts. What I'm saying is the only people and the only reason why I feel that the NFL does not want to do fully guaranteed contracts because they understand how much a player is worth and they know that it's going to be expensive for the owners. Now, at the end of the day, they, the owners value, they, they don't value championships as much as they, they say they do because if they did, they would pay fully guaranteed contracts. The NFL is the only sport, which is crazy. Or let me say this. The NFL is the most dangerous sport. That that one of the most, if not the, well, yeah, actually, it's the most dangerous sport that doesn't have a fully guaranteed contract. The only fully guaranteed contracts are like, what, Deshaun Watson and, and uh, franchise tags. Now I understand that they look at Lamar, they look at Deshaun Watson's contract and says we're not going to let that be the norm. I'm not saying you have to let 230 million dollars be the norm, but why don't you give a 200 million dollar contract fully guaranteed? Why don't you give a 190 million dollar contract fully guaranteed? It's The Ravens find themselves in an interesting situation. I think Lamar Jackson could go back and play for the Ravens if the Ravens give him what he wants. But with you coming out and telling the world that you requested a trade means that the the relationship, at least right now, is untenable. And you did that very precisely when your coach was interviewing with the world at the end. NFL coaches symporium or whatever it is. I've talked about this Lamar Jackson um, contract thing at nauseum. So I don't need to rehash exactly how I feel. I feel Lamar Jackson should be paid what he feels he's worth. And I also understand how difficult it is to pay a quarterback and then build a suitable roster that could not only bring out the best in that quarterback, but that can give you the best shot of winning a Super Bowl. I understand how tough that is. But as we're seeing with um, 
one of the best rosters in football, which are which is the 49ers, it doesn't matter how good your team is. If you don't have the quarterback, you're not winning anything. For years, the 49ers have had the best roster in football. Yet and still, they've only been to one Super Bowl in the in recent memory, and that was with Jimmy G. And they lost because they lost to the they had the better team. They lost to the better quarterback. So it doesn't matter how good the, the, the team you build around a person, the quarterback has to be serviceable, and you're dealing with a former MVP in his prime. He's only, what, 26, 27? I think teams like the Colts, and we'll talk about the draft a little later, I think the Colts should be talking to him. I think Atlanta. Atlanta was so – Atlanta was all in on Deshaun Watson. And now, and now, wants to get want to get silent with Lamar Jackson available. I think Tampa Bay. You just lost. I don't even know who Tampa Bay's quarterback is. You just lost Tom Brady. You still have Chris Godwin. You still have Mike Evans. Commanders. I know you just. And boy, you know I I heard the soundbite when he when I think the GM. Was talking about we're not interested in Lamar Jackson because we have Sam Howell and Jacoby Brissett, and there's a lot of great players to go after. There's a lot of teams, and and which, and that that also shows you that these owners and they value their money more than they value winning. Because all these all these organizations that need a quarterback or that are a quarterback away, not they not one of them are trying to touch Lamar Jackson right now because of how much he's asking for, not because of his talents. Because trust me, if the 49ers had Lamar Jackson, in my opinion, they'd win the Super Bowl. If they if the 49ers had Lamar Jackson, they'd win the Super Bowl. If the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had Lamar Jackson, they'd be f- favorites in the NFC. If the Commanders won or the, the Commanders had Lamar Jackson, in my opinion, they'd be one of the favorites in the NFC. Atlanta has been starving for a quarterback since prime Matt Ryan, which whenever the hell that was. And now you're not interested in Lamar Jackson. Okay. I'm interested to see what happens with Lamar Jackson and who, where eventually he goes and who eventually pays him. And I also think it, it'll be interesting that if he goes to a place that doesn't give him a fully guaranteed contract, in my opinion, and it's not Baltimore, that means that the relationship with Baltimore wasn't just about the contract. There was things that were said. I told I told you about this when we talked about last episode. You know, co- players are sensitive, and especially when you're your own G, when you're your own uh, man or agent, you're gonna hear everything. And, oh, that's another thing. 
for everyone that's saying that Lamar Jackson isn't getting his deal done because he's his own agent, needs to stop. Bobby Wagner is his own agent, and he just signed back with the uh, Seahawks. I think for a good minute, Richard Sherman was his own agent, and he signed deals. But the 49ers, that whole he's his own agent thing, that's just a way to get around the fact that you don't want to pay him what he thinks he's worth. And honestly, if you probably look at the metrics, he is worth that. Because trust me, if you're trying to give somebody, (laughs) if you're trying to give somebody $200 million, I promise you they'd be very easy to, to reach. Very easy to reach. I think it's a joke when people say that there shouldn't be any. I, I, I think it's, it's, it's comical when they say that fully guaranteed contracts is bad for sports. No, it's just somebody wants to get fully paid for their services, like any job. Now, yes, I know sports isn't just any job because, of course, it's a sport. These these are millions upon millions of dollars that's being made here. But I want to be worth, I want to be paid what I'm worth. And that's not $100 million with with $60 million guaranteed. Like, what are we talking about? If you say you're going to pay me $100 million, give me $100 million. I don't need, I don't need something fully guaranteed. Like, what? Hmm. It's crazy, but I do I do wish and hope the best for Lamar, and I hope he gets what he wants and ultimately deserves. I said I was going to talk about um, college basketball, and of course we'll get to you know what we saw the Elite Eight and you know some expectations for the Final Four. But I want to start off with. Caleb Love and Caleb Love is actually um, the catalyst for a bigger conversation. And actually, Caleb, the Caleb Love news that we got this week actually solidifies the NCAA tournament. First and foremost, Caleb Love came out and said that he's going to answer the transfer portal. Uh, after spending, what, two years in North Carolina, he is entering the transfer portal. Uh, this year was tough for North Carolina, obviously, after you know being the runner-up in the national championship a year before. They didn't even make the tournament this year. Neither did they. They declined their invitation to the NIT. And their star guard, i.e. Caleb Love, is entering the transfer portal. Uh, to, I guess, address this situation or this story, I hope, wish nothing but the best for Caleb Love. And uh, wherever he lands, I hope it's it's the best situation for him. I mean, he'll be a Tar Heel for life, you know what I mean? All this week, we have heard nothing but Theories about why there's so much parity in college basketball. 
people say that you know it's nil deals people say that the talent isn't all the way there and while i do feel that nai deals in a nil deals do help the bigger schools they're not helping the bigger schools right now especially when you see the schools that are in the final four So the biggest reason why I believe you're seeing a lot of parity in college basketball and while the Blue Buds and the, the, the big schools that are usually dominant outside of, I guess, UConn right now is because of the transfer portal. You see, if you look at every single team in the Final Four, in fact, if you look at every single team that we just saw in the Elite Eight, every single one of them, there was a key player, even the ones that lost, there was a key player in every single Elite Eight, team, Elite Eight game that was once in the transfer portal. I mean, one of the biggest names, and we'll talk about him when we talk about the Miami game, is Jordan Miller. Jordan Miller went to George Mason and for the, entered the transfer portal, went to Miami, bada bing, bada boom. Mar uh, Marcus no Marquise Noel from Kansas State transfer portal. You see, the transfer portal has made it e well has made it more beneficial for teams to get better players that they may not have possibly been able to get in the recruiting stage. Because imagine if a Caleb Love goes to a team like Gonzaga. Or goes to a team like, what's a team that needed a point guard? Purdue. He would drastically change the fabric of not only that program, but their seeding and their, their overall talent for the team. You see, again, every single team that is currently in the Final Four has benefited greatly, except for, yeah, actually has benefited greatly by the transfer portal. Now, I, the transfer portal is, I mean, it allows you to go to where you want to go if, if they want you. But I do caution, be careful with the transfer portal because there are, Cases where you think your value is higher than it really is. We've seen that, i.e. 7th Wood. 7th Wood went to North Carolina, didn't work out there, went on the transfer portal and realized his stock was not as high as he thought. But don't get it twisted, man. The transfer portal has been very beneficial to, a, to all these teams that are in the Final Four. And actually, all the teams that we saw in the Elite Eight. Hell, uh, was it Johnson from Kansas State was in the transfer portal? Their two best players, Kansas State's two best players, were on the transfer portal. A key big man for um, Florida Atlantic transfer portal. You see, 
I think the NAI deals will be very beneficial as far as recruiting in the future, in the very near future, when, you know, bigger schools can maybe afford bigger NAI deals or can offer bigger NIL deals. But if we look right now, it's the transfer portal. The transfer portal is the reason why the talent level is so wide open in college basketball. And while why you have a team, and don't, it's not just the transfer portal, but it's a big reason why you have three teams in the final four that have never been there. Three of them. Two of them are mid-majors. It's the transfer portal, man. It's it's. There's no way that you can look at what we're seeing and not understand it is the transfer portal. Hell, it is actually even more apparent. It is more apparent when we look at the women's side. And we look at how good, you know, the women, the women's side has, look at LSU and their best player. LSU's best player is from the transfer portal. Virginia Tech. It's a transfer portal, man. I know I keep saying that. <laughs> but it, it that is what it is. That is why we're seeing the talent discrepancy that we are seeing. Or yeah, the 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 equal amount of talent around the league or around college basketball. Maybe not as much as the women's than men's, but the women's is is affected by the transfer portal as well. Do not get it twisted. There is a a team in the final four that has benefited greatly because of the because of the uh transfer portal. So, but because we're talking about college basketball, let's talk about what we saw in the Elite 8. Let's first talk about Gonzaga and Yukon. One question that I had about UConn, I only had one. It was it was brought up that if you look at all of UConn's losses, they struggled with top-tier offensive talents, meaning they struggled with teams that are very good offensively. They lost to Kansas State. They lost to, um, I don't remember the other team, but they lost to a couple teams that are top 10 in offense. And while they look dominant, they they look dominant in when they are on. They look dominant in the regular season. They also look dominant in the the the, the tournament, the first what two weekends. But I was wondering how they would fare against a really good offense because the teams that they've beat have kind of been offensively challenged. They're good defensively, but offensively challenged. In, in, in a lot of ways, especially when we talk about three-point shooting. And then with them playing Gonzaga, who was the number one ranked offense in the nation, I was like, this is going to be their first test. This is going to be Gonzaga. This is going to be UConn's first official test, in my opinion, as far as a good offensive team and a good defensive team, 
how are they going to fare against a top-tier talent that is Gonzaga? Well, they beat Gonzaga 82-54. to And everything, every single thing that I wondered about uh, UConn was answered. UConn, in my opinion, is by far the best team remaining in the final four and maybe i put a lot or too much stock into that middle of the middle of the season skid that they had cuz if you look now gonzaga is a power like gonzaga is a a a force they have everything and when i say everything there is nothing that Gonzaga, Gonzaga has the shooting. Gonzaga, look, they have, they're deep. They, they have the bigs. They, look, Gonzaga has everything. Everything. You would have to, they would, to me, they're at this point, and it's kind of, and then we'll talk about South Carolina on the women's side, but it's kind of like South Carolina women's. They have to have a bad day, a bad game, and you have to have the game of your life in order for them to lose. I mean, Gonzaga's best player is uh, what uh, um, Amada Amanda Senego, best player, six nine. He's a junior. Their best player. And it feels like every single game is somebody else that contributed. The game against Gonzaga, Jordan Hawkins had 20 points. It's hell. The game before that, I think it was uh I think it was Donovan uh Klingigan, Klingigan, who seven two. Look at it. the look at the height of this team. Six four six three seven two six two six nine six five six three six one six 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 ten six four six eight six five six seven six nine six nine. Their point guard, their point guard is six five. Mm mm mm. Gonzaga, I don't have, I honestly don't really have, and he's from Gaithersburg, Maryland. Turn up, brother. I know that. Would you look at that? Gaithersburg, Maryland. I don't have, it's, you, you know how sometimes you can say, while UConn was good, the other team was bad. And while there is some truth to that, Gonzaga just wasn't good. And it felt like they leaned too much, at least this game, they leaned too much on Drew Timmy. And once Drew Timmy got into foul trouble, they were just like, what do we do from there? Uh, what, Strawthen? He, he wasn't, he wasn't, in fact, he wasn't hitting it just it, it was just a bad game for Gonzaga all around. 
Um, I mean, Strother had 11 points, but he went 0 for 6 from 3. In fact, the team as a whole went 2 for 20 from 3. That is Gonzaga. While UConn, while UConn went 11 for 31. They also went 2 for 22 from the free throw line. That is Gonzaga. UConn went 11 for 14. They missed 10 free throws. And had, uh, they had 9 turnovers. So while, yes, UConn didn't play the best. I mean, no, uh, Gonzaga didn't play the best. When you look at those stats and you look at those numbers, that's not because Gonzaga's a bad team. That's because they played a superiorly better team. And they aren't. Again, Gonzaga's one of the best offensive teams in the nation. Actually, the best offensive team in the nation. And went two for, what, two for 12? Two for 20? Two or two for 12 from three? And this is the same Gonzaga that hit the game winner against UCLA from three, damn near the 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 logo. UConn is it, bro. I would be shocked if they they. I'll give my predictions probably on Saturday about the you know final four and what what it'll look like, but Gonzaga or UConn is real. UConn is real. And I'd be shocked at this point if they don't win it all by a considerable amount, especially when you look at the matchups and who they will end up or who they're going to play in the Final Four and who they could potentially play in the national championship. I think they played their best. It's been crazy. Let's move forward a little bit, and let's talk about Florida Atlantic. This was probably the best game Uh just because of how close it was and, you know, you had, (laughs) again, Florida Atlantic, they, this is one of them Cinderella runs that you don't, you don't see it, you didn't see it coming, but you can, look, think about it. This game against Kansas State, you had 14 points. 17 points, 13 points, 16 points. You had four four players in double figures. I will say this though. Um I think Kansas State is a better team than Florida Atlantic. And that's the that's the thing about Marsh Madness. It doesn't really matter if you're the better team or not. It matters who's the better team on that day in that game. I mean Golden State, the Golden State Warriors is better than a lot of teams. They're better than the who have they, who have they lost? They're better than the Atlanta Hawks. However, the Atlanta Hawks beat them when they played. Who was better on that day? Is the the, the stakes are a lot higher in March Madness because it's one and done. I think nine times out of ten, Kansas State is beating is beating uh Florida Atlantic, but some critical. Kansas State had the worst time to have found the worst time possible to to sh- have a shooting low. They went 10 for 22, which is 50 or 45%, but a lot, they missed a I think they missed a lot of threes in the second half. 
I think they went a good five to six minute stretch without scoring. And your your two best players, one of them showed up, one of them didn't. Keontae, uh, Keontae Johnson, who you can argue is their best player, averages 17 points a game. He had nine. And he went four for seven, one for one for three, 0 for three from free throw, nine points. Now, Marquise Noel had 30 points, 30 and 12. Again, it's about moments, man. And and don't get me wrong. Shouts out to Florida Atlantic. Florida Atlantic has been incredible. Aaliyah, Aaliyah Martin had the, or Elijah Martin had the game of his life. Had the best game of his career. You know, it's 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 all about. It's, oh boy. Okay, hell, uh, Valdiv. Vlad Vladsleva Golden. I know I said your name wrong, bro. I apologize, but transfer portal. Seven foot. Florida Atlantic, bro. I, I don't you know what it is about Cinderella's man. They've been led by John L. Davis his entire run, and he had uh thirteen points uh that game or against Kansas State and Brian Greenlee, he had 13, I think. 16. You know the thing about Cinderella's? And 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 Cinderella runs, Cinderella teams. While, yes, you root for them to succeed. I think in everyone's mind, you're waiting for the... the while, yes, you, you want them to succeed, you want them to go far. You're always expecting them to lose. And I think that's been one of the biggest thing, biggest, uh, biggest surprises about Florida Atlantic. They're not supposed to be here. They're a nine seed. I think this is one of the furthest. And again, Florida Atlantic has never been to the Final Four ever. And while I want to see them go as far as they can go. I was still like, wow. Wow. You know? And shouts out to Florida Atlantic. They they did their thing, bro. They did their thing. And they continue. They they are a three. Look. <laughs> they shoot the hell out the ball, man. Florida Atlantic is going to let it fly. Again, they what did they do from three? Give me a second. I'm going to check. Florida Atlantic has it's they live or die by the three. They they have three point explosions. Florida Atlantic, while well, yes, they didn't they didn't they went nine for twenty three. They took twenty three threes. So Elijah Martin took seven of them jumps. Mm, mm, mm. And this was a really good game. Now, again, the, the biggest thing was Kansas State, they had a scoring drought of all time for like a good five minutes in the second half. The absolute worst time to have a scoring drought. But Florida Atlantic has has played who they beat who they beat and they deserve to be in the in the uh final four. So shouts out to shouts out to them. If you go over the other 
other teams. Miami beat Texas 88-81. to Miami was down, what, 13 points in the second half, I believe, of this game. And they clamped down and, and kept playing. And again, the transfer portal. The, the, they really want Miami's most versatile player, not best. I think Isaiah Wong is probably their best player. Miami's most versatile player, and and I think most important because there's difference between being the best and being the most important. Again, I think Isaiah Wong is probably their best player, especially when we talk about scoring the ball. Six four, he's sick. He averages sixteen points a game. But their most important player is Jordan Miller. He's 6'7". He averages 15 points a game. He's usually His defense is good. He's usually guarding their best wing defender or guard. And he had the game of his life. Well, no, that wasn't his, his highest scoring game. He had 27. And he went 13 for 13 from the free throw line. Texas is tough, man. And and I had Texas going to at least the, the, the final four. But, you know, being led by Sir Rice, you know, they 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 ran into a better team. Marcus Carr is probably their best player or second best player, depending on how you really look at it. But Marcus Carr had seventeen points. Tim Allen Timmy Allen, he had ten he he had sixteen. That's the thing. You had three players in double figures against uh, or for Texas. You had one, two, three, four, five. You had five players in double figures. I think all their starters for Miami. I think Miami is one of the most unique teams because I think that their ability to shoot the three or their ability to shoot the ball and their ability, especially when we talk about Isaiah Wong, and their their guards, they probably have the best, most offensively gifted guards in this entire or remaining, even with UConn. I think Miami has better guards as far as scoring the ball. Now, the the, the difference is, I mean, Isaiah Wong is six four. <laughs> you know, they they got some they got some people. The difference is, I think. A difference when we talk about, you know, UConn and in Miami is their size. UConn is big everywhere. Pause. <laughs> but I think Jordan Miller is their most important player, especially when we talk about who he would be guarding on the defensive side of the ball, because you can put him in a lot of situations and put him in a lot of areas. And he's not the tallest person. I think what he's six seven. And when I say tall, I mean, you know, in sports. Uh yeah. Miami did their thing, and now Miami is in the Final Four for the first time as well with Jim Lord or is it Joe Lorenega? Jim Lorenega, who led George George Mason to their Final Four appearance. So, shout out to them. And the last game, so we'll talk about on the men's side, was of course San Diego State beating Creighton fifty-seven to fifty-six. Now, while, yes, San Diego State, Lamont Butler was great. He had 18 points. 
to me, this game was more Creighton lost this game more than San Diego State won. San Diego State played the exact way that they usually play. They're not really the the most offensively gifted team. They are a defensive juggernaut. Like they are not going to let you score. They're not they're going you have to if you're going to score on them, it you deserve it. That's just how good they've been, especially on the defensive side of the ball and they they're just rugged. They are a tough team. And they they know who they are. They know they're not the the most offensively gifted again, but they know that you're not going to score on us. The problem with that is Creighton had their opportunities, man. Creighton missed so. In fact, I think if, let me if I remember correctly, yes, Creighton went two for seventeen from the three point line, and the the two were in the first half. And a lot of those misses were wide open. Wide open. They also had 10 turnovers. A couple of them were bad, late turnovers. And, of course, 10 for 11 from the three-point or free throw line. And while, again, 10 for 11 is good, 90%, you lost by one. You missed one free throw. And I think the one missed free throw came late. And, yo, again, in moments like, in in big moments like this, you have to capitalize, you have to seize what you can seize. And when a team, and San Diego State, again, don't get me wrong, they played a good game, but they didn't play their best. San Diego State should have lost this game. And of course, we can go, you know, the final play of the game, and should it have been a should it have been a call to foul? Should it not have been? It was a foul, bro. Nimhar had his whole hand on his hip, and that is a foul. Now, if you want to, if you want to call it or not, that's up to the ref. But that's a foul. But you shouldn't have to put them. You shouldn't have to put yourself in that situation because of how many wide open threes you had and missed. And when I tell you them Jones were butt naked open, they were open. So while, yes, shouts out to San Diego State, the Aztecs, another mid-major team, um, winning and making it to the Final Four, Creighton is going to be beating themselves up for a while because they had their opportunity. They should have won this game. And if they would have hit just half of the wide open, again, they they went two for 17. If they would have went five for 17, they would have went seven for 17. They would have blew out to the San Diego State Aztecs. It's crazy, man. But so is basketball. You go two for 17. And and that's listen to this, bro. You go, the Creighton Blue Jays go two for 17 from three. San Diego State didn't do much work, didn't do much better. Three for 13. Four for six from free throw. Forced one steal. Had seven turnovers. Like, it was, it's just the little things. And if you would have made half your shots, half your three, if you would have made the, if you would have made two more threes, you would have won by, you would have won. And then that whole, was it a foul? Was it not a foul at the end of the game? It was a foul, bro. 
Same thing with the Super Bowl. It was a foul. It was a penalty. It was a holding. It's just, are they going to call it or not? I mean, it's a foul. So, you know, shouts out to San Diego. And on the women's side, man, look. I I will first say shout out to, uh, you know, Louisville. They played an incredible game. However, when you're playing against... When you're playing against an all-timer, you have to be bring your A game. And maybe they did bring their A game, but it's different. Caitlin Clark recorded the first 40-point triple-double in NCAA history. I think both men's and women's. I could be wrong on that. But she, for sure, recorded a 40-point game triple-double. Haley Van Haley Van Lith has been incredible. She had 27 points, and she I think she's one of the leading scorers in uh, the last few years as far as in tournament play. But Caitlin Clark is different. And the thing that I do like about Caitlin Clark that I didn't really I didn't one of the biggest reasons why I didn't have much faith in Iowa, at least making it to the final four was because I just felt the team was, it's solely on Caitlin Clark. If Caitlin Clark is not playing well, they're going to lose. It's like, she's unable to get people involved. Like that's what I thought. But then again, I also can admit I didn't watch much Iowa game. Like I watched the big games. Like I watched them against Maryland. Like I watched the big games. What I do like about this tournament run that she's been on and that Iowa is on is that she has been creating great shots for her teammates. If they don't make it, it's because of them. But she's been creating great shots, great shots to the point where it's like, oh, that was she's been the de facto. I'm not going to say she's been the point guard because she hasn't, but she's set up her teams to be in the best positions possible. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons why Iowa is in the Final Four. All, yes, because of Clayton Clark and her offensive firepower, uh, her her offensive ability, but the fact that she's able to get great shots for other people, and she's passing up good shots for great shots for somebody else. And shouts out to Louisville. They they played the best that they could. Again, Haley Van Lith was great, but when you're playing against Kate, and here's the thing. When you're playing against Caitlin Clark, you can't let somebody else go off. Like, the, the you can't, you have to pick your poison. You know what I mean? You can't, Caitlin Clark had 41, 12, and 10. You know, uh, Gabby Marshall, who averages six points a game, she had 14. Um, McKenna Warnock had 17. It's like, that can't happen. Now, well, again, shouts out to Louisville. They, what? Van Lith had, uh, she had 27. Olivia Conqueron, Conqueron. I know I missed your name wrong. Cochran. There you go. Cochran. She had 20 and, God. She had 20 and 14. Christina Carr had 10, 11, you know. Uh, Makisha Robinson, Mc, 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 
Robinson. Again, I know I messed your name up. I apologize. She had 10. They played, but it's just they ran into a better team. And that's another thing. When you're playing a team like that, rebounds. Louisville had 13 or 32. Like, this was an evenly matched team outside of the three-point line. Louisville shot 8 for 22 from the three-point line when Iowa shot 16 for 35. Iowa also shot 20, shot 30 free throws, made 23 of them. Louisville shot 18, made 15. Louis, Louisville had 14 assists. Iowa State had 20, or Iowa had 20. Louisville had nine steals. Iowa had 11. Again, man, it's that three-point line. That three-point line is killer. You, they made, they doubled you in three points and almost won by twenty. And so, Iowa is going to be tough. Now, their next opponent, which we'll talk about in a second, I don't know how, you know, but hey, shouts out to Iowa for making it to the Final Four and Caitlin Clark, who. Has been one of, if not the best players in college basketball. So, and then you have LSU. All you've heard all season is LSU has a week out of conference schedule, and then of course we've heard about the we've heard about the competition in the SEC outside of two teams. A lot of people didn't think the SEC was the best of conferences as far as competition. But here we are. LSU, being led by Angel Reese, is in the Final Four. After beating Miami in the Elite Eight, and Miami had a really good run as well, so shouts out to uh, Jasmine Roberts. She was, she's been really good. She had 22 points. But the LSU, and, and I don't know if you guys remember, you can go back to the real, you can go back to my prediction. I have an all-SEC national championship. I have South Carolina, and I have LSU. LSU has been great, man. LSU has been great. And the thing about LSU that I like is that while, yes, another transfer portal, baby, uh, Angel Reese, while Angel Reese is their best player and recorded, has like 32 double-doubles, which is the most in uh, SEC history, I think. It, it You can lose on a lot of, like, <laughs> Even though Alexis Alexis Morris hasn't had the best tournament, she is an incredible player, and she's a really she's a high volume player. They they have a lot of ways to beat you. They have uh Felasia. I I know I mentioned her name, but I apologize. Felasia Johnson. She like they have multiple ways to beat you outside of Angel Reese is doing what she does, and she ha- didn't have the best game. She went three for fifteen. But she's still at 13 and 18. So I think that you have, when we talk about who was or who was remaining in the Elite Eight, every team had a player that they could, they had multiple players, but a player or two that they could lean on to get them to where they are. And as you saw, Louisville versus Iowa, I their best player, Caitlin Clark, was the best on the, you know, um, while Injuries wasn't the best, Alexis Moore came Morris came and had a great game. So I think LSU, again, shouts out to Miami. They had a really good run. 
Uh, but LSU has been the best team in the Greenville region, Greenville two region. They've been the best team. And I think that it's only right that they're playing in the final four and shouts out to them. I, I've been on this crusade, man, <clears throat> not crusade, but I've been questioning. I like Clayton. Caitlin, Caitlin Clark. Don't get me wrong. And if she wins the National Play of the Year, which it looks like she probably will, for the women's side, it, it makes sense. You know, it it makes a lot of sense. But my question is, why is Caitlin Clark getting all this? It feels like it's a landslide for Caitlin Clark. But then I'm looking at Angel Reese, and I'm like, Angel Reese has been dominating. You know how many times I've seen her have a twenty twenty game or a thirty twenty game, and it's like crickets i don't know i know that the big 10 is probably as far as competition this year is probably a little better than uh the sec outside of two schools but you know i'm just like hmm why 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 and 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 don't get me wrong i know this is gonna sound like hate but it's not i caitlin clark has been incredible and i think caitlin clark will and probably does deserve to win national play of the year she is one of the greatest offensive weapons that the women's game and actually college basketball as a whole has ever seen she is you can pretty much say she's the Steph Curry of 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 college basketball right now so I get it I get it wholeheartedly don't get me wrong but it it just feels like there's no other people in this race when and and that's what Don Staley was saying when you have Angel Reese that's doing what she's doing and and break records when you have Aaliyah Boston who's who's dominating and doing what she's doing just when you have uh, Jasmine Roberts doing what she's doing. Now, yes, I understand that. You know, I get it. And what's what's homegirl from Ohio State? Uh, or when you have Liz uh, Kitley doing what she's doing. It's just, you know, but I get it. I get it. I get it. I'm not hating. I think Caitlin Clark has been incredible and probably deserves it. I'm just, I was, or I'm just saying, hey, maybe Angel Reese. Who knows? But shouts out to LSU for making it to the Final Four. <sighs> kind of this, almost the same exact thing I said about UConn is is what I'm saying. It is it, the same thing that I'd say about South Carolina. They are the best team in college and women's college basketball by a country mile. They played Maryland, and shouts out to Maryland making it all the way to the lead eight. Uh, Renda Freeze is a really good coach. Diamond Miller, who is projected to be number two, like the second overall pick in the WNBA final or WNBA draft. South Carolina has everything. They have shooting. They have size. They have a great player in Leah Boston. They have a really good guard in Azia Cook. They have an incredible coach in Don Staley. The South Carolina Gamecocks, they're the best team in college basketball on the women's side by a country mile. And while, yes, you're about to go up against probably the arguably the best player in college basketball, I think that I will be shocked if South Carolina lose that game. Because of their defense, because of the way that they're able to pe- rebound, they're able to. Pe- In fact, they're able to pack the paint. Let me see something. 
so Maryland had 26 total rebounds. South Carolina had 48. Maryland had 15 assists. South Carolina had 19. Mm-hmm. Look, South South Carolina, that's another thing. That's another thing. Let me just read off. They have Aaliyah Boston's what, 6'5? Aaliyah Boston's 6'5. Oh boy. Right? Aaliyah Boston, 6'5. Uh, Camila Cardoza or Cardozo is 6'7. This is. <laughs> Boy, they got some height. I tell you that. Jesus Christ loves you so much. And on top of all of that, like. Letitia. Emma here. I know I messed your name up. I apologize. She's six four. They got size on them, bro. And they they have the championship DNA. They know how to win. That's the reason why I like Maryland. Don't get me wrong, but I did not think Maryland was beating them. I don't think anybody's beating them. I have them winning the national championship for a reason. And yeah. Yeah. South Carolina is different, man. They're different. Different. And and they're led by arguably one of the best players in college basketball in Aaliyah Boston. So and yet another transfer portal team. Virginia Tech beat Ohio State. Shouts out to Ohio Ohio State. But you know Elizabeth Kit or Liz Kitley, she had twenty five. You know they are, but and and honestly, while she she as far as Liz Kitley was great, it's been um oh boy, what's her name? It's been uh Georgia um um Amor Georgina Amore. I apologize if I said your name wrong. She's had her best run, period. I mean, let's see. Against points, points, points. Against Louisville, she had twenty five. She had twenty two against uh was it Chattanooga. She had a twenty one point game. She just had twenty nine against Tennessee and she had twenty four against Ohio State. She's been their best player in the tournament. Now we all know that Liz Kitley is their best player. But uh, Amora stepped up when she needed to. And I think one of the biggest reasons why you see um, you see Virginia Tech wing is they are able to use their size as well. Like you have 6'3", 6'2", 6'6", 6'foot, 6'foot. That's, and that's tall in, in, on, on the women's game. So... Yeah, man, I, I think this is, to me, this game is going to be uh, LSU because LSU is going up against um, going up against Virginia Tech. I think that this will probably be LSU's 
biggest competition. Um, and we'll see if they can do it. Because, again, you have Angel Reese going up against Liz Kidley. Uh, that'll be big. You have Alexis Morris going against Georgina, uh, Georgia, uh, Amor. That's going to be big. So, you know, it's it's going to be a game. It is going to be a game. And I I am excited to see. I mean, this is a very good, and I think a a well a well matched final four at least one side. Uh, and Taylor Soul, who by the way is a transfer portal baby. That's all I'm saying. Transfer portal all about this paint jump, bro. So I'm excited, man. I'm excited. Shouts out to UConn. Uh, San Diego State, Miami, Florida Atlantic for making it to the, to the Final Four on the men's side. And shouts out to Georgia, no, uh, Virginia Tech, LSU, South Carolina, and Iowa for making it to the Final Four on the women's side. With the draft coming up, decisions need to be made. Uh, of course, we understand that South or Carolina has the first pick. Alabama has the second pick. And we don't think because of Kyler Murray and the uh and the Cardinals, we don't think the Cardinals are going to take a pick. So they're probably going to take uh what's his name? Will Anderson uh from Alabama. So it's really the top 3 picks that could and probably will go for quarterback is 1, 2 and 4. And 4 being the Colts. In this whole draft process or quarterback evaluation process, there's really been three quarterbacks that you've been looking at, and that is C.J. Strout out of Ohio State. You have Bryce Young out of Alabama and Anthony Richardson from Florida. Now, I am on record in saying if I was one of them teams, bump them three, I'm going to go get Lamar Jackson. But that's just me. That's just me. But you have to ask yourself, what is more important to you? And who who do you think has the, the higher upside? I mean, if you look, C.J. Strout probably is the most talented out of all three. And that is, yeah, of course, Bryce Young and, and Anthony Richardson. He's probably the most talented. He's probably, probably the most NFL ready right now as well. Not saying that they're all just going to come out and just be gangbusters, but I do think that they all need some time to develop. But I think that CJ Shaw's probably the best. Um, but then you have Bryce Young. Bryce Young is probably the better pocket. Like his pocket presence is a lot better. And I understand they're talking about the height, but he's been that height for a while and or for his life. And he's still dominated at the college football level. I mean, he has a national. I mean, yeah, he has a national championship, and he has a uh, Heisman. And then you have the physical specimen that is Anthony Richardson. How good is he going to be at the quarterback? I mean, I think you have to make a decision again. I would go for Lamar Jackson, but that's just me. Um, but yeah, like what what. I think that C.J. Stroud is probably the best player out of the three. Um, 
and I think that he'll probably go number one for the Panthers. But I don't know. It's it's not not a bad. I don't know. I think I think I would go with uh, if if I had to pick between the three, I'd go with C.J. Stroud. I just C.J. Stroud had a great pro day, and we know what he. I mean, he's been one of the best players in college football, especially being the quarterback for Ohio State. But and, and I do like uh, I do like Bryce. I I think that the difference between Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud is very minimal. Uh, but I will go with C.J. Stroud. So, lastly, before we go, I wanted to uh, shout out again. March is Women's Month, and I think this might be the last episode in March. So, I want to shout out uh, Caitlin Peck or Carolyn Peck. I'm sorry, Carolyn Peck is the first African American, uh, the first African American woman to win a D1 Divisional National Championship. She won it with Purdue, which is actually cool because I've met her on several occasions. She's a really cool person. I didn't know who I was talking to. I'm like, oh, shoot. Carol, again, it kind of goes back to I, I, I highlighted Don Staley in an episode before, but it kind of goes back to that. It's, you know, you're dominating a sport that it's not known for. Not only African Americans to dominate when we talk about coaches and we talk about, you know, the color of the coaches, but some of the big, the best schools, you know, UConn's and 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 Stanford's and Tennessee's, like Carolyn Peck won at Purdue, and she will go down as one of the most important coaches in in college basketball history because don't get it twisted bro i understand there's a difference between men's and women's but when we talk about don staley she's one of the greatest college coaches in college basketball history when we talk about carolyn peck you think that you know homie from texas that shouts out to him for getting the job you think that he didn't look at he doesn't know who carolyn peck is you think you know the the coach that's the Virginia Tech coach who's African American. You think he doesn't know who Carolyn Peck is? Like Carolyn Peck, she she broke the barrier. She did something that nobody until that point has done before, and that is be African American, win a national championship for the women's side. So shouts out to her, man. She is she's been a trailblazer, and she is one of the best coaches and one of the. She's also the first head coach. Head coach, general manager in the history of the WNBA. Groundbreaking. And there you have it, man. That's been today's episode of the Unpopular Podcast. I appreciate you guys. If you want a popular podcast, her shirt, hoodie, sweater, long sleeve joggers, the link is in the description below. I have multiple different colors, multiple different designs. Get your unpopular podcast merch today. Also, please subscribe to every listening. Please subscribe to every watching. It definitely, definitely mean a lot to me. And until next time, much love.